Hello and welcome to the Christmas episode of the Ulster Rugby Roundup. It's the least festive, festive period in living memory and that hasn't stopped Jonathan Bradley queuing off for his holidays. So that leaves a gap alongside myself, Gareth Hanna, and our regular reporter, Adam McKendry. Hello, Adam. How are you? Hello, guys. I'm very good. We're sick, sore and tired, really, of our usual panel of uh, stand-in journalists. Nobody really wants to hear any more from the likes of Richard Mulligan or Bigger, do they? I certainly don't. I'm only joking. But no time like the present for some fresh blood. And so it's an Ulster Rugby Roundup debut for UTV's very own Simon McIntyre. Hello, Simon. Welcome to the programme. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's very, very harsh on, on Richard and Baker there, who we know very well and see weekly. So, um, I noticed you didn't say delight- one love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, delighted to be uh, to be asked on today. Thanks for having me on, Gareth. And, and good to see you alive and well in the flesh and the hair is is voluptuous Garth it's Thank beautiful you. at the minute much appreciated making the most of it before it uh, recedes anymore um, we, we keep saying he's going for Tommy Fleetwood to hope his golf game sort of improves alongside it but so far no results no yeah well, he's, he's getting to the sort of Sebastian Chabal if we're talking about rugby he's, he's just a beard <laughs> short of of being the caveman himself can you grow a beard, Gareth? Can you can you get a beard to go with uh, it? Yeah, I think I probably could, but I would uh, have a divorce to go along with it as well, I think. Um, <laughs> so, Simon, tell us a little bit, uh, for the, the avid uh, BBC news supporters amongst our listeners, tell us a little bit about yourself and your uh, your Ulster Rugby credentials. Oh, well, um, yes, I've been a sports reporter now for over four years with UTV, so cover a little bit of everything from from Adam's very own favourite ice hockey to Ulster rugby, the Ireland rugby, and um, to the Northern Ireland football team. So it's it's really been it's been a great time. I feel like I'm auditioning for a job here with you, Gareth. But <laughs> yeah. um, I'm, I'm basically a sports fan who gets to do what they would normally be doing at the weekend anyway for a living. So so it is um it's a blessing to have it as a job. And and sometimes you feel like you're under pressure and you're working and then you see other people and what they do for a job and you realize this is a bit of a hobby and I love to do it so um well they say do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life that's right and you're uh, you're you're a big Ulster rugby man I am yeah so I've been going I've been going since I was probably about 14 15 we sometimes used to go on a Friday night after school I had a couple of mates who lived over in East Belfast um we'd maybe go to their house for tea and then we'd be able to walk to the to Ravenhill, as it was called back then, and, and watch Ulster maybe, I don't know, once every couple of months. Um, and it's really since I've been in the job that I've been able to, to see them more up closely behind the scenes a little bit. And listen, it's, it's nice enough. They're nice enough people to work with, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, look, that's enough about you, Simon. Enough about you. We're not here to talk about you. So what we are... Welcome to, to the podcast. <laughs> What we are here to talk about is uh, Ulster's defeat to Gloucester. We brought brought you on on a very cheery occasion, Simon. Um, yeah, you come you come thinking it's going to be a nice one, don't you? Yeah, five or five or six minutes to go, and then you end up having to talk about a heartbreaker. Here we are. It's a it's a European post mortem, if ever there was one. Uh, but uh, so thirty at thirty four, then the final score ended. Adam, that uh, the nature of that really must be up there with the most sort of galling defeats Ulster have had in uh, in recent memory. Yeah, it's probably one of the most gut punching ones that I I can remember um, over the last few years. The Leinster quarterfinal was quite tough to take too, given how much they were in it. But 
that one they had in their hands, the, the Gloucester game, they had it in their hands and they threw it away. You know, last week, whenever they lost to Toulouse, we were rightly praising them because they played well and it was just two pieces of individual brilliance that basically beat them. But this week, Ulster can only blame themselves. That is possibly the worst bit of game management I've seen for a long time in the last 10 minutes there because you've got a 10-point lead and even you know going into the last two minutes, Ulster have the ball on the edge of the Gloucester 22. There's less than a minute on the clock and they decide to try and hit Matty Ray on a big punch ball through the middle. Now, that's the right play if you're chasing the game. If you're chasing a bonus point late on or if you're chasing the win, Matty Ray's run is superb. That's the kind of thing you want from the, your forwards. But see if you're in the last minute of a game, you've got a three-point lead and you're just outside the opponent's red zone. You, you calm down. You need to just take a step back and go, look, hold the ball for a minute, drive through the forwards for a minute, just your wee pot passes out, nothing fancy. Hold on to the ball, clock ticks into the red, you kick it out, you walk out of there with your European hopes still alive with a three-point win, the bonus point in the bag. That's all you need to do. Instead, they try this big pass to a rampaging forward on a wet night. He knocks it on, and it was about five minutes later because they played on for so long. Gloucester go under the posts and win the game. So that, that for me, is the most disappointing thing. We heard Billy Burns and Dave O'Connor and even Dan McFarland said after the game, you know, that's a game they should have won. To lose, they probably should have won as well, but for a different reason. This one they threw away. And they'll probably know that themselves, Simon. With the, the like, they're over a score clear with what was it six six minutes remaining. Like of what we've seen of Ulster, particularly under Dan McFarland, and they're more likely to be claiming those points later on. So like, especially in what was their biggest game of the season so far, it was a shock more than anything, wasn't it, to see what happened? Yeah, it was. You just expect a team of of Ulster's quality to to be able to close that out at the end. It's just as Adam alluded to, it's just game management, isn't it? A little bit of experience, a little bit of know-how. And probably that last two, the two minutes before it went into the red, summed it up. We had the scrum in their half and you just need to keep it tight. You just need to, as Adam said, pick and pop with the forwards. You need to keep your eight forwards and maybe a couple of center, the two centers and a couple of wingers maybe tight into the game. There's no need at all to try and play they don't they didn't need to score at all if they yeah. if they just keep the ball for four phases i'd say because there's there's no need for this lightning quick ball that that ulster love to play with normally mm. you just need to make it really really ugly and and maybe maybe that that showed a little bit of frailty and a little bit of the underbelly maybe of what ulster are lacking just that killer killer instinct that you need to succeed at the top level and you don't need it to beat the likes of of Gloucester normally, but to get to the very, very top level, they need to show a little bit more experience and know how when it comes to those last five, ten minutes of a game. Mm-hmm. Adam, do you think this could be something that we obviously we talk all the time about how Ulster are such a young team and this isn't about like this season's never going to be about needing to win a trophy now, but in the next two or three years they're going to be building towards it. Do you think that experience could turn out to be a bit of a, a blessing in disguise. I know that's something that Billy Burns was sort of intimating towards after the game. Yeah, the, they'll no doubt take a lot from this. And the thing is, the hurt from this game in particular will last for a long time because, as we as we both said there, you know, <laughs> this was a game that they had 
in the grasp of their hands and they've somehow let it go. And you you look at some of the guys who are in that team, you know, Dave O'Connor making his first European start. Uh, James Hume still quite inexperienced at this level. Ethan McElroy coming off the bench. Even Michael Lowry still quite inexperienced at this level. You know, learning how to finish off games where you maybe haven't been completely at your best. Like Ulster weren't perfect in that game. They were very good with ball in hand, but they weren't great defensively. But managing to finish off those games and managing to get wins where you really weren't firing on all cylinders is something that teams do have to learn Mm. and not being able to do it on this occasion they'll be able to go back and say look here's what we should have done you know there were enough guys on that pitch with experience that they should have been able to say let let's keep this tight let's calm this down let's slow this down go through those four phases you've got the full five seconds when the ball comes back use it so they should they've really got to go back and analyze those last specifically those last 10 minutes you know that that for me is just the massive thing that they've got to take away from this if they if they analyze what went wrong in those last 10 minutes why they weren't able to close it out from a position that you know the best teams in Europe do close it out from then they'll be able to take that forward and that's going to serve them really well especially going into you know they should be in the pro 14 semi-finals and hopefully the final come the end of the season and then back into Europe next year but that for me it's not so much the rugby side of things that they have to learn from this week it's the mental side of things that's where they've really got to get clued in after what happened well let's hear a little bit uh, now then from Billy Burns who of course was uh, was standing in as Ulster captain on the day returned to his former side if there, there was any doubt as to how the Ulster players were feeling in the changing room after the game, he uh, he eradicated that doubt very quickly in the press conference. So here's what he had to say: Not a great place to be, uh, obviously. Um, boys are boys are gutted. You never like losing at home and then backing up with a loss away, especially in a game that we were in a position to win. Um, so yeah, it's uh, probably as dark a changing room as I've been in. Um, but if that's what it's got to be for us to to learn and, and take lessons to move forward, then uh, then that's the way. Um, like I said, I think the disappointing thing is we so much didn't go our way. A lot of it sort of due to us and, and we got ourselves in a position to win it and we and we couldn't quite do it. So, yeah, like I said, huge disappointment, as you can imagine. Simon, is there any other sport, obviously for, for fans and players after that game, it was just uh, probably as low as you can, near enough as low as you can feel in a sporting sense. Are there any, any other sporting events that spring to your mind that have, uh, have been anywhere close to matching that? Do you know what? It was that one last month when, when Northern Ireland played um, Slovakia in that in that playoff game for the Euros. And yeah. I think seeing the... It's maybe not quite to that scale because ultimately that was a one-game playoff to make your ultimate dream of making the European Championships. But similar feelings of that was one that probably got away and one that Northern Ireland on the night... It was maybe a 50-50 game. It was maybe slightly in Northern Ireland's favour, but it was certainly one that they could have won. And it mm-hmm. felt similar enough. There were similar sort of feelings. As I said, It's there was a bit more on it that night than, than Ulster's game um, at the weekend there. But the similar sort of feelings yeah. that, that crept up again. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's the uh, the joy of sport when you're on, on the other side of it. The notice, Stephen, uh, when it cut to the... 
Gloucester coaches as that try went over and they're just going absolutely mental and just like, oh, that's a real kick in the teeth there. That's just why, that's why we love it though. That is why we love it. You you don't live for those moments, but you know that that always could happen. So that's why you enjoy the the great moments so much more. Like from a a neutral perspective, that was an incredible game. And over, over the course of the last couple of weeks, there have been some amazing Champions Cup games. You know, looking at that Munster game in Claremont and um, even Br- Bristol Claremont in the first week, and even Ulster Toulouse in the first week, like there. But say Ulster Toulouse was it was a brilliant game. They were throwing it about on a wet night, and you got to give them a lot of credit for doing that. Yeah, so some some amazing games that we we've seen, but yeah, that that's why we love the game. And if you're watching that from a from an objective standpoint, that's just a great reason why we love the sport. You know, a team coming back from the jaws of defeat and snatching victory. But unfortunately, we're looking at it from an Ulster perspective and you've got to look at that as a as a massive, massive disappointment. Not least because it, it means there's probably not any sort of huge... Ulster still have, as we'll discuss a little bit later, a potential Challenge Cup quarterfinal place to play for. But really... Um, that sort of leaves no game to get hugely excited about now until possibly May because they've already basically secured that home quarterfinal place in the Pro 14. They're not going to catch Leinster. Nobody else is going to catch them. The rest of the Pro 14 fixtures, it's very hard to get really up for those until we get to the, the knockouts. But look, it is what it is. Uh, and um, that, that all sounds very depressing. But uh, let's get into the nitty-gritty of that game then, uh, as it was. It sort of, Ulster looked like they'd lost it and then won it and then lost it. So if we, we deal with the first bit first, the where they, they drifted 14 points behind, just what happened in that, that first half? I mean, like I was obviously out working at the football, but I was keeping updating or updated through your live blog, Adam, and I, I was shocked because... I just expected Ulster to come through in that game. I know it's a way in Europe, but we know Ulster tend to do reasonably well in England and the way they've been playing, the results have been getting, uh, it's the first time in a long time, I've probably been really shocked as to what, what was happening. I'm shocked someone reads my live blogs, so thank you for <laughs> I that. You, I do. The figures are always good. Um, yeah, the, there were a few reasons. Um, for First and foremost, their discipline was really poor, um, especially sort of in that first... 45 minutes they uh, Alexander Ruiz was very whistle happy um I don't think he had a particularly good game and you know me I'm, I'm not one to really bring up refs very much but I didn't think he had a, an overly good game but at the same time you know you play to the referee you don't play to the referee that you want you play to the referee that you have and if he's penalizing you for certain things then you got to stop doing them and also just kept getting on his wrong side and that kept giving Gloucester territory their mall was going extremely well. Ulster just could not cope with the drive, whether that was, you know, not having Sam Carter and Marcel Katsia or whether Gloucester just had some, some way of using their driving mall that Ulster weren't prepared for. Either way, they had the forward drive on. Ulster just weren't able to cope. And whenever, whenever that happens, it's so demoralizing every time you give away a penalty. Lloyd Evan kicks, kicks the corner and you just know what's coming and you just know that there's no way you're really going to stop it without giving away a penalty and inevitably you know the yellow card comes from the from the mall and then the second yellow card and the uh and the penalty try comes so Gloucester effectively did what Ulster have been doing all season which is they use their strengths to their advantage which was they just kept kicking to the corner and going through the driving mall um 
the first try obviously comes off some awful defending from Ulster. I think uh, it's uh, um, Harris, Chris Harris, who bounces off James Hume and Stuart McCloskey. Then Kyle Moyle uh, bounces off Mike Lowry, and that just gives Reese Samet the chance on the outside to score. But uh, Ulster, I think, just could not sort of get any kind of coherence and consistency going. You know, Billy Burns gets over for that good try, but anytime they sort of tried to get some momentum going, they gave away a penalty and Gloucester pinned them back. Then they got those two yellow cards, which really disrupted anything that they were trying to do. They just had to see those 10 minutes out and hope they got to halftime without anything worse on the scoreboard. And then after the restart, you know, giving away the penalty, I think it was inside the first minute, it was 44 seconds or something. Mm -hmm. And then Gloucester score again, you know, it was just, it was such a strange performance from Ulster in that first sort of 45 minutes because we haven't seen that per discipline for that from them for such a long time and most of them were really avoidable penalties that's that's really how they got into that position and yet Simon whenever they had uh, 13 men they didn't concede <laughs> I them they were that. genuine they were incredible with with 13 men it was this is the tactical. This is what Dan McFarland needs to look at doing from now on. Thirteen <laughs> players. Thirteen v fifteen. Yeah, I don't know if it was their best period of the game, but it was certainly close to it. I mean, their the um the tactical timing with Cooney's kicks. It obviously went against him when he when he went for the long ranger and it fell off the tee and and also get a scrum against him. But the fact he had the know how to to know I'm going to take a full minute for this and not a second less mm. was very very clever. They stuck in. I think at one stage Stockdale's playing flanker in one of the scrums. Yeah. So, as Adam said, it was it was the strangest, strangest game. And and to their credit, in that period before half time, when it really could have fell apart, and and you saw what Ulster did when when Reesamet went off with a sim bit in the second half, they really capitalised. Gloucester didn't really capitalise at all mm. when Ulster were down to thirteen, which is is so so surprising when you see the flow of the rest of the game. Um, it took. Obviously, that that very very late effort, um, when also had fourteen on for for Gloucester to to finally wrestle back control. Mm-hmm. You know what you know what the irony oh, yeah. is, and Simon, you you make a brilliant point there. They played that the two yellow card period perfectly. Like I thought that was really really good. They had some really really good periods. Ironically, if they had done what they did during the whenever they were down to thirteen men in the last minute of the game, they went. Yeah, absolutely. They just so, just did that little bit of, of slowing the whole thing down and, and knowing that the game they the other team has to go and win the game and they can only win it if you lose it. And that's sadly what they did in the end. <laughs> Adam, I'm sure you had your uh, your match report uh, well written before before that stage or some thoughts <laughs> written any and, and it would have been and another another match report record that uh, had finished really, but it would have been John Cooney again, I'm sure, getting the headlines of the uh, of Hall and Ulster through with that uh, that penalty and uh, his, his fine try as well in the second half. I think I think we've said it before. A late try is literally a journalist's worst nightmare because it completely ruins everything you've written before. Um, yeah, you know what? I'm going to give Ulster massive credit. You go 14 points down just after the restart. You, you did so well to keep it a seven-point game going in at halftime, and then you can see the try within two minutes of kickoff. Like, for some teams, that would completely wreck you. Because at that point, it didn't feel like Ulster were sort of 50-50 in that game. It felt like Ulster were second best in that game. 
and they've just conceded another try. So other teams would collapse. Ulster stuck in there. They didn't immediately bounce back, but they just sort of kept themselves in it. And then John Cooney creates Michael Lowry's try. Like Michael Lowry gets the credit for that and he does well to finish it. But John Cooney on what is very clearly a predetermined move where they're trying to do sort of the, uh, I think it's Jordy Murphy makes the pullback pass to Cooney and Cooney's supposed to go out the backs. Gloucester do incredibly well to read that. It's Mark Atkinson who jumps out of the line and blocks off Cooney's pass. So what he then does is he sort of carries through the middle, gets his hands free and gets the offload to Nick Timoney. So from a move that has actually failed, John Cooney manages to create a try scoring opportunity, gets it away to Timoney. Timoney has Larry on his outside and Larry goes over to score. That's brilliant thinking. Like that's off the cuff rugby that, you know, you can only see if you have that great rugby vision. That's what Cooney has. That's what we know he brings to Ulster whenever he runs those great support lines or whenever he does those great wee kicks. But Ulster, you've got to give him credit for coming back, like scoring 24 unanswered points after going 14 points down. You know, that that's nothing to be sniffed at. That's that's great Heineken Cup rugby. Like that's the kind of thing that makes you one of the best teams in Europe. Um, and then obviously Cooney getting the try to get the bonus point. You thought they had it won. And that, that was the thing, you know, Ulster managed to work themselves back into the lead and then they just get that bit of luck. You know, Cooney's try doesn't come off any sort of great bit of running rugby or anything like that. You know, it comes off, Jacob Stockdale actually knocks on, or sorry, not knocks on, knocks sideways a kick. Gloucester recover, but then Stockdale does really well to rip it back out. You know, that tenacity to go after the ball. You've made a mistake, but let's keep going. Let's try and get it back. He rips it out. Cooney picks it up, runs the length of the pitch. You think Ulster have got it won. And for me, you know, we've talked about the ending, but give them a lot of credit for sort of that, what's that, about 25 minutes between the 45th minute and the 70th minute. Ulster suddenly pulled out the kind of performance that if they had managed to do that in the first half, they would have been out of sight. You know, that Gloucester wouldn't have stood a chance. Simon, if they had hold on, held on, you would have been on here today talking about how, how good Ulster are and saying, Jeepers, they're maybe not far away and, and maybe they can progress in the Champions Cup. Like, that's how good that, that period was. We probably would have been here saying, well, do you know what? They could actually still do this. They might go and beat Toulouse. Yeah, they were absolutely blistering during that 25-minute period that, that Adam talked about there. And John Cooney to the four again. Um we did, we, you know, the game's decided over 80 minutes, isn't it? And you got to take the full 80 or 85 as it, as it turned out to be this time in the account, um, sadly. But yeah, you, you got to give them massive credit because they were, were they 14 down when, when Gloucester scored that try early in the second half? They were 14 down mm-hmm. and other teams might have folded. You know what? Ulster two or three years ago might have folded. Um, but there is a little bit more to this team now, I think. And I still do believe they're moving in the right direction, whether um, whether the the the, uh, the players and the coaches are filling my head full of sweetie mice. I don't know, but I still genuinely do believe that they're they're a much better team than they were when Dan, McFar- uh, Dan McFarlane took over, and that in itself is is a good thing. If you're covering them on a, re- a regular basis, you don't want to be talking about just being the third or fourth best team in Ireland and being. 16th, 17th best team in, in Europe. You want to talk about them as they are now. They're probably just on the cusp of being in the, the best eight teams of Europe um, 
I think the Champions Cup in the last two years has, has probably proved that they're not quite in that upper echelon of, of the top three, four teams who are regularly in the semi-finals, the likes of Leinster, the likes of Claremont, although they didn't prove it at the weekend, but the likes of, of Racing, who are, are regularly in Exeter, who are regularly going to be there. Um, but they're certainly moving in the right direction. And no matter throwing the game away on, on Saturday there, um, I don't think that you can't take that last two-minute, five-minute sequence and say that is Ulster rugby because they don't do that every week. They, they normally, yeah. if you take the Pro 14 and you take Europe from last year where they won five games in the group and, and lost a quarterfinal to a very good team, they, they normally do win games. And when it comes up against the big teams, they're just a little bit short. Um, but I think I think the, the sort of last 10-minute crumble doesn't really sum up this team. Yeah, could, couldn't, agree, couldn't agree more. That was really good. <laughs> well, and I think that I think that all go come away from that feeling. Do you know what? No, we are we're actually we're actually quite good. We're actually all right. <laughs> that's that's the trap that that we as reporters and probably fans as well can fall into after a defeat like that. You just come away going, they're they're terrible. They're awful. Like whenever Liverpool got beat seven two by Aston Villa, the way I was going on that night, you'd have thought this was the worst Liverpool team I've ever seen. When like yeah, that's not that's not Liverpool. It's a one. It's a one off weird game, and and you just got to take that in isolation and say that's not us. Here's yeah. the rest of the games are who we are. Hopefully the season will define that for Ulster. So Simon, tell us, have you got a favourite Ulster player? Um, I feel like I should be Dan McFarland here and say they're all my favourite. Oh, do, do, do that in your Dan McFarland voice. <laughs> Go on. I knew that was going to come up. Uh, no, no, I'm not going to do my Dan McFarland. I'm, I'm, I've been told I'm okay at impressions, um, <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not going to embarrass myself. Um, <laughs> Do I have a favourite? I'm going to get back to the question. Do I have a favourite Ulster player? I, you got to love watching Marcel Coutier. Just the way he plays. I don't know how sustainable his style of play is. It reminds me very much of Stephen Ferris when I was growing up watching uh, Stevie play. In that he's just like 100% action all of the time. He makes 25, 30 carries a game in every one of them. You know where we sit at Ulster, if, if you're at the King's Band, we're at the very back of the stand. If Marcel could see it runs into another man, you can hear it from 60, 70, 80 metres away. He is thunderous when he carries. And I don't know, I don't know if there's a single one-on-one person that can stop him in the world. There probably is. Adam will know someone in the outer reaches of South Africa that is 25. Yes, I forget South Africa. I'm, I'm going to Pacific Isles to find someone yeah, like that. That's true. Those guys are massive. But one-on-one, he is he is virtually unstoppable. You have to stick two or three men on him. And that's, you just got to love watching him play um, because of that physicality that he brings to the game. Well, I hate Ulster, to tell Ulster you, missed him on Saturday. They yeah, really missed him on Saturday. Yeah. We'll, we'll get on to that now, but not before I tell Simon that that was a test, which he has failed because, of course, you cannot be part of the podcast if your favourite player is not Michael Lowry. So this will be your first and last appearance in the podcast, Simon. I do, I do like I do like we Mike as well. He's, he, do you know what? He's a lovely fellow to speak to as well. He's so... He's, he, he, his, his, his sort of character is summed up by his height and the way he plays perfectly. Like, he's this sort of timid guy and you think he's all timid but then he genuinely he fronts up when he when he does media and stuff as well he, he he's that sort of brave guy and he's not afraid to to say yes this is who i am and then this is who we all are i'm rambling a little bit but i do actually really like i do really like mike Lowry, and he's another one 
if he had the build of Marcel Coutier, he'd probably play like Marcel Coutier. <laughs> yeah. Just slightly smaller and slightly lighter. Imagine Marcel Coutier playing at fullback. <laughs> Imagine him catching a ball deep and just running at full pace. There would be some guys with some mess shorts there. Sam McFarlane's just taking notes on what you're saying here, Adam. Could see him <laughs> next. You know, get, get him a run out 15, do 20 minutes down at Galway at the weekend. You never know. As much as I love Marcel Kutsia, I'm not sure uh, I would love him defending if someone made a break through the defensive line at 15. We could shift Stockdale into flanker, though, just to uh, accommodate all these changes. Well, um, maybe that's why we got all the yellow cards at the weekend, just to, to have a wee prep test. for it. To throw in. Do you remember they used to... All, they used to, I remember when the All Blacks played, they always used to have a number eight hanging about in the defensive line. So if the fullback caught the ball... Fullback caught the ball. He just popped it up to the number eight, and the number eight just killed the first person that he saw. <laughs> well, yeah. we're we're getting off topic. I don't know how you've done this, but this Sorry. is most of rugby podcast boys. Um, what about that? Uh, well, very quickly, Adam. Uh, Michael Larry scores a try, so we have to talk about it. We're contractually obliged. Um, but I think that was his first European try, wasn't it? First European try, yes. Um, he didn't have much to do for it, but he ran a good line to take Timothy's pass and go over. So. Give him credit for that. Look, another good performance. He, he just keeps being so consistent. Like the, the thing for me is not sort of his upper level of his talent. It's the fact that consistently he's just putting in good performances. Yeah. And, you know, for, for a guy so young, still, still very much learning as someone who really didn't play 15 consistently until he entered the senior ranks, you know, he's a 10 all the way through school. So he's only started playing 15 so that Ulster can get him in the team. And he hasn't put in a bad performance yet. You know, he, he was turned inside out by DuPont for that try against Toulouse, but his overall performance was grand. And at the weekend, he had another very strong game. So mm. I think that's probably the more pleasing thing for Ulster is that they've got his baseline performance. You, you always talk about ratings. You know, his baseline rating is probably a seven. And then he just gets that up and up into the eights, into the nines, based on what else he does in the game. And, you know, if you get a seven from your fullback every single week, then you're you're absolutely delighted with the potential that he'll get it up to an eight or a nine. Then, yeah. you know, he, and even probably the biggest compliment is he's forced Jacob Stockdale back onto the wing. You know, mm-hmm. there's a guy who Ireland have put to fullback because they see it as his long-term position. And Ulster said, no, thanks we've got a very good fullback here that we're going to keep there and we're going to put Stockdale back on the wing, which mm. I still believe is his better position at the moment. Yes. So I think Michael Lowry has now quite rightly earned himself that fullback jersey on a full-time basis. Yeah, no, absolutely. Time in the back row without Marcel, obviously not that it was a worry as such, but any back row in the world missing Marcel, you're, you're probably going to think they're going to feel it. How did you think, obviously Nick Timoney came in, how do you think they, they they fared without him? Yeah, it's just it's just lacking that that little bit of punch. And as we talked about earlier in the episode, maybe that little bit of leadership as well. You know, I don't know if Marcel would have been on the pitch um, come the 80th minute. Maybe he would have been, given that the game was was so so tight. But yeah. just that the, I suppose to have someone of his experience and his ball carrying abilities as well, he's he's always going to be missed um, mm. when you don't have him. And and who knows if if we'll even have him beyond this season? The talks are are looking not great, if we're honest, and um, that he's going to stay beyond this season. 
um, which would be a, a massive, massive loss if, if Ulster fans didn't get the same play beyond uh, 2021 in, a, in an Ulster jersey. We know what the questions next week podcast are going to be about now. Thanks for that, Simon. <laughs> just, just, just before we do move on, like again, I, I just want to add a caveat. You know, that's an Ulster pack without Sam Carter, without Marcel Kutzia. You've got Eric O'Sullivan playing eighty minutes a week after playing seventy-five minutes. Um, you've and got Rob Ian Herring without Ian Henderson. You've got Rob Herring playing eighty minutes, although he spent ten minutes off with a yellow card. You know. That's a lot of experience missing in that pack. Mm. And I think you I think Ulster missed Carter at the mall, especially. I think a lot of people underestimate what Carter has done at the mall. You know, coming from the Brumbies, who are a notoriously fantastic mauling team, I think you've suddenly seen what Ulster miss whenever he's not there and mm. why he has been so important for Dan McFarland, along with his impress ever impressing performances. Mm-hmm. So You've got to add that sort of asterisk to Ulster's performance. You know, it's a big European game away from home at what is a very proud English ground in Europe. You know, Gloucester have some amazing nights um, at at Kingsholm down the years in Europe. I was there last year for whenever they played Toulouse. And, you know, the, the atmosphere in there is incredible. I absolutely loved it. So knowing what was on the line for Ulster to be missing what's that four or five members of their starting pack you know it was a big ask going over there and trying to get the win even though they still should have you know it doesn't take away from the fact that they still should have but you know Ulster were severely weakened going over there yeah well well what do Ulster need now obviously there is still a mathematical chance that Ulster can progress in the Champions Cup but I am willing to say that's not going to happen and just write it off now. Uh, if if it does happen, no doubt they, that sentence will be played back to me um, on several occasions. But really what I also need to look at now, I suppose, is progressing in the Challenge Cup. Is that fair to say? Now, they go in, uh, they're on three points. They've, they've picked up those three bonus points so far. So they are a couple of points. They're in ninth position in that 12-team pool. Need to finish between fifth and eighth, obviously, to get into Challenge Cup quarterfinals. They're two points off, uh, I think, Exeter and Gloucester. And three off Claremont, I think. Although uh, I uh, deleted my wee tab with the table on there. So I'm happy. <laughs> do you, do you want me to read it out? Because I've got it in front of me. Yes, yeah, so it, it's uh, got Claire, to... Claremont and Bristol have six, yeah. Exeter and Gloucester have five, Ulster have three, yeah. and then below them you've got Connacht on one, and Harlequins and Glasgow both have none. So, so if we assume that Ulster aren't going to win to lose, there's a lot of guesswork going on here, but it is what it is, and I'm sure uh, people would be willing to say that's the most likely outcome. If Ulster then come away with one win, big. Gloucester at home, what they're relying on is one of those four teams, Claremont, Bristol, Exeter and Gloucester, to lose both of their games in order to leap into that uh, top eight. Now, do we think that's going to happen? Bear in mind the fixtures, if we go through the two teams, or the four teams, Claremont are away in Munster and at home to Bristol. Do we think there's a win coming there? At home to Bristol, probably? Well, the the thing is, for Claremont, it if even if they won in Munster, you know, that would take away from Munster who are on eight. So let's say Munster get at most from that game a point. Mm-hmm. I'll put Munster on nine, Claremont on ten, and if Ulster beat Gloucester, they'd be on seven. So all of a sudden Munster drop back down into that, potentially coming into the challenge cup mix. Mm-hmm. So you know, you 
there there are a lot of games where teams are gonna play each other and gonna knock them down. You know, like Claremont playing Bristol in Claremont, one of those teams is gonna be affected there. Mm-hmm. So, but they, but then you you see you just I think Claremont win at home to Bristol and then Bristol mm-hmm. win at home to Connacht. So that's both of them gone out of Ulster's reach. So all of a sudden you're down to Exeter and to lose. Like look at Glasgow, Exeter are going to win in Glasgow. So that's Exeter gone. So now it's just Gloucester. Who play is it Leon in their last game? Who play Leon yeah. at home in their last game? So now yeah, so they got they got whacked in France, didn't they? They got beat about yeah. sixty or fifty odd nil. So um, I think, and it could I think be that's wrong. the best the best chance, isn't it? Really? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's what I think too. And I could be wrong. I did check with Jonathan Bradley to make sure I wasn't talking other nonsense before I come on too. So we can uh, partly blame him as well. So I think that's what it comes down to. Do Leon win in Gloucester to put Ulster through? What do we think? It all depends how much Leon have got on the line coming into the last game because they're currently on 10 points and they play, it's Glasgow at home in round three, I believe. Um, So if they win that, as I would expect them to, probably with a bonus point because Glasgow have absolutely nothing to play for anymore. Um, That puts them on 15 points. Now, let's say that's already good enough for them to get top spot in the pool and you've got a home quarter final wrapped up already. Well, it's home and away legs anyway, so Mm. how much does it really matter? You know, Mm. are Leon going to come over with a half-strength team looking ahead to going back into the top 14 and therefore Gloucester will probably beat them? In, at King's home, or will Leon come over fully stacked, aiming to finish top of the pool? If they come fully stacked, I would expect Leon to win. Mm-hmm. If they come with a half strength team, then it's anybody's guess how yeah. interested they are in winning. So that, that's the problem with projecting ahead. You know, you, you can't really project ahead mm-hmm. with the French teams because you really don't know, even whenever they've potentially already qualified, <laughs> they might have no interest in winning their last game because all they care about is getting a march on in the in the top 14. So, uh, look, provisionally, I'll say Leon will win in Gloucester, but honestly, it's anybody's guess. Yeah. <laughs> Similarly, the same, thing, the same thing might happen to Toulouse, though. If, if they, when they're, they, they got a, they got a walkover at the weekend, didn't they, there, Toulouse? Mm-hmm. Um, so they got to play, who are they playing next? They play Exeter away in round no, three, no, and then obviously Ulster at home. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if they if they did pull off a win in Exeter, which they've got the players to do that, mm-hmm. then potentially they have nothing on the line, and, and Ulster's task in Toulouse becomes a little bit easier if they're yeah. if they're resting the big guns potentially ahead of ahead of the Six Nations as well. Um, they might have to rest players. Yeah. Um, no, look, it's it's it's, it's an extremely difficult. It's going to be a difficult yeah. task, but I I actually don't think, and you might disagree. I I don't think going into the Challenge Cup is the worst thing in the world. Yeah, the Champions yeah. Cup was probably, I mean, winning it was was probably out of Ulster's reach. It would have took three incredible performances in in any sort of knockout stage to to get, um, to get their hands in that trophy. But the Challenge Cup seems, anyway, on on the surface of it, more winnable. And and really, that's that's Ulster's next hurdle, isn't it? Because we talk about how well they play, how well they develop, but really, the next step is is winning silverware and, and if it's the challenge cup i know it's the europa league of the rugby world um but to just win something i think would would take away that stigma 
Yeah. We, we were debating yeah. this last week, um, and you're you're absolutely right, Simon. I, I don't and think I, going I, into I, the challenge. Hang cup... on, now hang on, Adam. Let's not let's not revise history. You and Jonathan said it was no. You did not agree last week. You said you'd rather continue in the Champions Cup. I'm not letting you have this. I was on my own last week. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me finish, please. <laughs> going into the Challenge Cup would not be the worst thing. I don't think winning it would be this great, you know getting over a hurdle or anything like that that's consistent that's what i said last week but having rugby to look forward to in a european week late in the season i think is important it's very especially when it, nothing. especially whenever the format this year is so strange you know yeah. it's it's not like you know ulster have if, if ulster were playing in a normal season and they've missed out on qualifying for the last eight by not finishing at least second in their pool then, yeah, I would say, you know, Ulster don't deserve to have European rugby late in the season. But, you know, because because of the way the polls are working, because of how unlucky Ulster have got with their draw, you know, having Toulouse as fourth seeds is a ridiculously unlucky draw. And even having Gloucester isn't a great draw either because, you know, they're, they're a good side too. So, you know, having having the Challenge Cup to look forward to would be a, would be a good thing, mm. I think. Yeah. Um, but look... Winning the Challenge Cup is by no means going to be easy. You know, Exeter look like they're probably going to drop into the Challenge Cup, you know, which nobody wants to have as a draw. Toulon look like they could drop into the Challenge Cup, which would not be a t- would not be an easy draw. One of Claremont or Bristol might drop in as well. Yeah. You know, so there's there's already three teams that you probably don't want to face yeah. who are going to be going into the Challenge Cup. Um, well, but like, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll stay I'll stay consistent. I don't think winning the Challenge Cup is going to be any massive boost to Ulster. Like winning a Challenge Cup would suddenly make them think, now we've won a trophy, this is off our backs. That's not one of the main trophies. That's not one of the trophies that Ulster want to win. I don't think that's going to that's gonna be a magical, we've won a trophy and now that monkey's off our back. I think you got to win one of the two main ones for that to sort of be off your back. That's fair. I just think the year that's in it and... and as you said, the calibre of the teams and, and the fact that Ulster haven't fared too well in knockout rugby, if they were to get into the Challenge Cup and they were to get through three rounds and win it, I genuinely do think, and, and they were to lift silverware at the end of it, I do think it would be a huge boost and a little bit of, of affirmation of, of what they're trying to do. Yeah, a little bit of payback, I suppose. Look, let's let's hope we're uh, we're talking about it after after January, and they are actually involved in some sort of European knockout. Although, um, as as we say there, it's uh, probably already going to be a big ask for that to happen. But look, who knows? So, before we go, time is ticking on, but we still have a trip to Connacht to look forward to. If anybody can uh, can still get themselves up for for uh, a Pro Fourteen match after the the European disappointment, so. It's uh, 7.35 on Sunday evening. It's at the, the 27th. It's, I always think dates make uh, have more meaning than days at this time of year. Who knows what the, <laughs> what the 27th will feel like Sunday or not. But uh, 7.35 kickoff. Connacht, I suppose, have had a similar enough season to Ulster so far and that they've, they've been pleased with their work in the Pro 14 and then are coming into this off the back of, of two European defeats. What can we expect team-wise from Ulster? Well, we now presumably see significant enough rotation. Yeah, this is always the weird part of the season because you don't really know where Ulster are going to rotate and where they aren't. You're probably going to see quite full strength for the home game against Munster. Um, which 
will be going ahead now after all the all the NI executive restrictions. It, it is going ahead at Kingspan Stadium, and then uh, Leinster the week before Europe. Usually, you you like to have quite a good side back back out there before you go back into Europe, but obviously going down to Leinster is a game where you generally write it off and say let's send down quite an inexperienced side and then Connaught and Galway is always sort of the wild card in that it's one that you think you can win but inevitably it turns out to be a banana skin but this week takes on so much more importance now that you're on the back you're off the back of two losses I think if Ulster come into this game having beaten Toulouse and beaten Gloucester they look at it as this is a game that we don't need to get a result in and it's one where we can rotate. Now you're in a situation where having won eight games in a row in the Pro 14, you've lost back-to-back in Europe, you've lost your home record, which they were very proud of. You really don't want that to become three. Mm. Back-to-back is you've had a couple of bad weeks, you can bounce back. If you lose a third, it starts to just mentally become a slide. And... That's where you really need to try and break out of it. So I I don't know if Ulster can sort of approach this from the perspective of we can afford to rotate and we can afford to look at this as we don't need to win this. I I think mentally you really want to get a result here and you really want to get back on the horse and get a win in the column because otherwise those doubts start to creep in. And I know Ulster are a very close squad. They're a very confident squad and that's something that's really good any team in world rugby if you lost three games in a row would inevitably start to think jeepers why have we lost these games why having won eight in a row have we suddenly dropped three in a row so this game does take on a bit more added significance and i think they would really need a win here simon you expect a win can you expect a win and in a way interbrew over christmas it's always really difficult i remember a couple of years ago i think they went to connaught and they were kind of we're playing okay, and I think Connaught ended up sticking about 40 or 42 points on them in an absolutely, it was just a crazy windy night down in Galway where it looked like it was like crazy rugby, never mind crazy golf. The ball was flying absolutely everywhere. Apart from the hands of an Ulster player, it seemed to just be yeah. attracted to everyone in green. Um, it was, um, yeah, so it, it's such a difficult place to go. Um, and Connaught, I mean, the they're always going to be up for Interpros, but they always seem to be particularly up for playing Ulster. Um, maybe because they see us as, as the one that they can beat quite regularly. But just going back to something that, that Adam said, it's it's really, really important. That it probably is. A result is important this weekend. It's, it's important to try and rebuild a little bit of confidence as well, because if we're looking at that Christmas period and you're saying we're going to go to the RDS and probably build a weakened team against Leinster ahead of the European games coming up after that. Then you're looking at, we've lost two in Europe. If we lose to Connacht, is Munster the only one that we're going to win out of that five-game stretch? And then it becomes, we've lost four and five. Oh, dear. And it, it, you, you suffer a little bit of a, a crisis in confidence if you're you're looking at to lose away coming up, um, which is going to be a very, very difficult game as well. So it becomes... A little, it becomes a bit more than a blip in form and a bit more like, oh dear, we're in trouble. So I think um, I think Dan and, and the coaching staff will be drilling into them this week that this is a game that they need to bounce back in rather than, as Adam said, coasting into it. I think the last couple of Christmas Interpros as well, if, if I'm not wrong in saying, 
we've won the two games before in the last couple of seasons with a couple of, I think it was was a Bath and um, Bath and Harlequins last year. It's Harlequins back. Um... Was it a couple of years ago? Because the se- the seasons completely messed up this. It was Harlequins back to back last year. Harlequins back to back last year, and was it Leicester back to back the year before, maybe, or Leicester and whoever it was? I think we've bounced into Interpros off a good bit of form and thought the first one's losable. Let's try and win the home game, and we're probably going to lose another away game, and it, it doesn't really affect you too much. But yeah. as Adam said, when you've already come into it off the back of a couple of losses it, you don't want that to fester and you don't want that to become a habit because so far this season winning's been a habit they've, they've rolled in the games and it's just been a case of how quickly are they going to get a bonus point here um yeah you, you don't want you don't want losing to become a habit yeah it was scarlet's back to back the year before that i was, I was, was. desperately trying to rack <laughs> my brain there um but the, the, the thing is dan mcfarland's made such a big point of you know performances over results and i i don't mind that you know if if the performances are going well and you're not winning then you know you can look at it and say you know we're beaten by a better side but at some point you've got to go if we're performing well each week and we're losing there there's something we're missing here um and ulster performed well in patches in gloucester but they didn't perform overly well in other patches. So, you know, the performances haven't been terrible in the last two defeats, but at some point you've got to look at it and say, all right, our performances are good, but why are we not getting the results? Mm-hmm. So I completely agree with Simon. Yeah, I think this week, the, I wouldn't say a result is absolutely necessary. If they lost this, but they played well, I think it's one you can maybe move on from that. But certainly if the performance wasn't good this week and they added a third straight defeat, then I think that would be a much bigger issue. Yeah, yeah don't get me wrong. If they played like they played against Toulouse, um, obviously Connacht probably aren't on Toulouse's level, but if they played at that sort of standard, score four tries and lose by a kick, we're probably going to sit here and say, that's not too bad. At least they really put it, put it up to them. We come home with a couple of points and we'll look forward to the Munster game. But as you said, if they if they put in a bad performance and, and one filled with with errors, which I think, I mean, there's a lot of chances to win that Gloucester game. I think they ended up giving away something like 14 penalties. I don't know how many lineouts they lost. So the opportunities were there. And I think that'll be key this week is is cashing in on, on the opportunities that they do create. Well, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, Adam will have the, the live blog on Sunday evening, as always. So you can keep up to date on that and with all the build-up and the reaction in Belfast Telegraph, the Sunday Live and online. And we'll then be, be back next week for another podcast. So that's us from this week, Simon. Many thanks for joining us for your, your podcast debut. You've, you've certainly earned um, another appearance, uh, not least because you've uh, teased that Dan McFarland impression that we, we still have to get out of you. <laughs> Uh, I was saying to you before, I think um, we'll wait for the end of season dinner and maybe Dan will have a couple of Guinness in him and I might bring it out in front of him. <laughs> we'll just have to bring the recorder in and slot it into the, the podcast. <laughs> well, that's us for this week. So, uh, happy Christmas from us all and uh, many, many thanks for listening. Cheerio. Cheerio.